Well, it's good to see everybody. I hope you're all in good spirits. I hope you're well. It's, wasn't it a bit warmer this morning in terms outside? Did you not notice? I got in the car and it wasn't like naught degrees, <laughs> you know, or minus one. It was like 12. I'm thinking, oh, bless God. Spring has arrived, finally. I will wear my white suit. <laughs> Well, we're going to continue with our series, Life Wins. You know, last week, you know, Chris spoke about the extreme forgiveness of God that was afforded to Peter. I, I was really blessed by that message. I did, wasn't here, but I watched it on the podcast, or watched it rather on the video. And of course, that same extreme forgiveness is afforded to all of us. And friends, if you didn't, uh, you weren't here for that message, get hold of the podcast or watch the video. Powerful message. The grace of God and the mercy of God was here in the house. So really commend that to you. Now, this morning, we're going to consider Luke's account of those days between the resurrection and the ascension. And it's the two disciples as they're walking along the Emmaus Road. And if you want a title for today's message, Linda's giving it to you. It's the facts don't count. So come with me now to Luke 24, 13 to 15. Now, that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Clophas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus is Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and in deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he appeared from their, disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, 
Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found 11 and those with them and assembled, assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen, has appeared to Simon. Then he told, the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. So there we have the account. And I'm going to just talk about different perspectives here. It's interesting, you know, when you look at this, that the disciples had that perspective as they met Jesus who they didn't recognize. And here's their perspective. Jesus, who was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and man, sentenced to death by the jealous religious leaders and crucified. The Messiah who was going to deliver them from the Romans. Now, one of the things you need to understand is that when the Jews were thinking about Messiah, they were thinking about someone who would bring back the days of King David, the golden age, 1000 BC. So the Messiah was going to be there to be the conqueror in their mind of a physical army who released them from oppression. That's what they had in their mind. However, Jesus had a different plan. And it says that after three days, no evidence of the body and the tomb is any, empty. So these were the facts, and they were all true. But the fact is, who were they talking to? Although their eyes had been closed, so they couldn't see, who were they talking to? They were telling Jesus what he already knew. They were telling him the facts from their perspective. However, who were they talking to? Well, they were talking to Jesus. That's what the text says. However, I think there's something here for us, you know. Like the disciples, we can be cast down, our hopes dashed. You know how it is, you're looking at your finances, you're looking at your relationships, you're looking at your, your, your work relationships, you're looking, you're challenged. And when you look at the facts, and you know, I find there are lots of people who like to tell you the facts. Well, here's the situation, you know, we haven't got enough money to get through the month. Well, yes, those are the facts. But I remember someone said, you know, we don't, well, she's a very wealthy lady, so when she has people on her staff, she doesn't pay them to tell, them the, tell her the problem. What she pays them for is the solution. And what type of person are you? Are you one of those people that can tell us the problem in detail, with passion, at length? And never, ever get to the solution and get bogged down in the facts. Well, at the moment, the economic situation is such that we have a double-dip economy. And at the moment, you know, I have no job and I don't see the opportunity for me to get another a job because there's so many other people out there who want the same job. And we get into this cycle. And the disciples were in that situation. As they were talking to Jesus, they were, it says, downcast or cast down. They were looking at the facts as they understood it. Their perspective was not a biblical perspective. It wasn't Jesus' perspective. Like the disciples have said, we can be cast down. However, let me tell you something. 
as they were walking with Jesus and telling them the facts from their perspective, let me tell you this. When Jesus is present with you, even whether you recognize it or not, the facts don't count. Whatever situation you are in, whatever sin that easily takes over or causes you to stumble, whatever relational situation you are in, whatever your emotional condition, whatever your spiritual condition, whatever's going on at home, if Jesus is present, the facts don't count. If you came here this morning and there's trouble at home, or as they all used to say, there's trouble at mill. Yeah? Or you know that you're here and your partner's not here. Or you know that there's a job situation that you're going to have to face when you go back there. Or you know your bank account is not what it should be. Or you know there's something that's troubling you, something that's causing you problems. Thank you. <laughs> I was so busy preaching, I didn't even notice it. Bless God. <laughs> oh, don't worry. <laughs> I think, you know, I'm almost tempted to don't go to Glasses Direct. <laughs> because you get what you pay for. <laughs> Whatever your situation, <laughs> if Jesus is present, the facts don't count. You know, I'm going to preach this with my bare face and the eyes that he gave me because the facts don't count. Amen. <laughs> and let me say something particularly to us men. One of the things that God has puts upon men in the right way is the ability to, to hear God and to stand on something that he has said to us and to persevere until it comes to pass. And let me just say something. If God has given us a word and it's not yet come to pass, we must take hold of that word. And here it is. You see, you have to take hold of that which is not seen until the thing that is not seen breaks through into our reality. It's one of the ways that we grow. Many times God will speak to us and it's unseen. Thank you. He's spoken a word. I, 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 my own testimony, you know, two, two and a bit years ago, my job disappeared in a way that was not particularly nice. But God gave me a word from 1 Kings, I think it's 19. It's also in, I think it's um, Isaiah 37. And it was basically Hezekiah. He's under siege. And God delivers him from the siege in one day. And in the scripture it says, you're going to eat what comes from the same. That's year one. In the next year, eat what comes from that. And then in the third year, multiply and grow. And God spoke to me about that and said, look, this is what's going to happen. First year is going to be tough. Second year, you're going to eat what comes from the same. And the third year, things are going to take off. This is the third year since I've been kind of self-employed, part-time employed. I've been, never been so busy since about February. And I said to the Lord, we need some more work coming in. It came in. Man, I had to have time to go to the toilet. <laughs> I tell you, it's so busy. But you see, I had to hang on. 
I had to hang on. I had to hang on to that word until it becomes a reality. And you guys, particularly, we have to learn to trust God. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The plan is always that God work in us so that the things that are not seen become a reality. Breakthrough. But you've got to hang in there. Because whatever's going on in your circumstances, the facts don't count. The facts don't count. Micah said this, Micah 7, 7, I'll take you to obscure scripture that you may not often go to. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. Charles V. Simpson in his book, The Challenge to Care, said this, faith is the ability to have unshakable confidence in something God has said, even though it has not yet come to pass. Faith is the ability to have unshakable confidence in something God has said, even though it has not yet come to pass. What is it that you're hanging in there for? You can see it in the spirit. You can see it because it's created in your mind. But the time is coming when it will become a reality. That the key is faith. And friends, this is true for us, whether we feel successful or not, whether we fall into sin or not. That what is happening now, you know, I have failures in my life, and I'm thankful to God that you know, when I have failures, I, have I can go to the Father and I can go and get prayer from Derek and, and, and confess my sin. But, you know, the sin does not mean that everything that's gone before is finished. It's actually, what actually I'm finding now is every time God's going to take me to another level, I find that, I, I, that sin comes into my life in some way. And what I'm learning is, ah, ah, oh, ah, Lord, it's not the fruit, but the root that you want to deal with, but you're taking me to a new level. Whereas my natural inclination would be, that's it, I'm out of here. <laughs> but you see, it takes faith to believe that what God is doing in us has a greater purpose than the sin that so easily besets us. Because God is working in us. You see, you see, you gotta, you gotta see on the soundtrack, you see, that, that, that sin, when it, when it manifests itself in your life, God is it's a signpost to something deeper. And if you understand that, then you can allow God to go deeper in your life so he can prepare you for the next level. That's how it works. As opposed to running away and hiding and thinking, that's it, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm out of here. So then, we need to get God's perspective on what's going on in our lives. The disciples had the wrong perspective. So let's look at Jesus' perspective. Luke 24 25 to 26. He said to them, how foolish you are. That was a soft and gentle word, wasn't it? It reminds me of the wonderful scripture in Job, where Job, as you know, lots of bad things happen to Job. And in Job 2.10, he looks up through all this pain and sores, and his wife says to him a word of encouragement, curse God and die. You know, a really wonderful word of encouragement from his wife there. And he says to her the same thing. You speak as a foolish woman speaks. 
Shall we not receive blessing from the hand of the Lord and not also adversity? And that was very nice. In other words, he said, you're stupid. <laughs> but he didn't say that because it would affect the relationship. <laughs> right? <laughs> and Jesus says to them, you're foolish. How foolish you are and how slow to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He rebuked them. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them all that was said through the scriptures concerning him. So, Jesus' perspective is on what is going on in our lives is what we need. Jesus gave them the big picture. And friends, you know, you need to get the big picture on what God wants to do in you and through you. More often we get so myopic and narrow about us and our staff and this and that that we don't realize that God's plan is far bigger and you have a part in it. And when you get the big picture, then you prepare to go through the process. That's why we need God's perspective on our situations and circumstances. The work of the Holy Spirit is to lead us and guide us into all truth. And I'm not talking about just truth of the Bible. Don't limit it to that. So that we know the truth about our situations. We know the truth about the lives that we live under. We know the truth about what God really wants to do in us. And how that truth about how God sees us begins to set us free. And that's the process of the Holy Spirit. It's called revelation. And it's called sanctification. The revelation of how God sees us as opposed to how we see ourselves. You know, when I was in the Church of England, they'd have a line, God forgive us, have mercy upon us, merciful, uh, um, you know, um, miserable sinners. You say, have mercy upon us, miserable sinners. Right. I'm thinking, well, you know, you know, I'm coming to the presence of God and I'm a miserable sinner. And the sun's starting right down there. <laughs> but God doesn't just see you as that. Because he sent his son for you to deal with that on the cross. But we need to get God's perspective. And it often comes by way of revelation. As we wait before the Holy Spirit and allow him to work in our lives so that when we have crises or when we have failure, we give God space to speak into our hearts so he can get to the root of what the challenge is. And let me say something. You know, if you are working through stuff, a particular activity or sin, or act out in, you're acting out a certain way and God is working on you on that one, and for months you haven't done that and then you fall again, it's not the end of the world. It's just a different trigger. And the purpose is now for God to show you what that trigger is so he can heal another part of your heart. So I would encourage you as I speak to myself, stay in the process. Don't get discouraged. It's a journey of grace. And what, when those things happen, you know what you have, to, you have to fall back into? You have to fall back into that place where you're affirmed as a son and a daughter. You lean into your sonship. You don't lean into what you do. You lean into who you are. Hey, that was good. You don't lean into what you, you do. You lean into who you are, a son, and you rest in that. 
And when you come to the Father, he restores you. And then he releases you. And it's not a matter of, oh, releases you with conditions. He releases you. That's what Chris was talking about, the extreme forgiveness of God. It's total and it's complete. And the purpose for us is to stay in the process and allow the grace of God to operate within our lives. Life and light always work together. The light, the life became the light of men. And the purpose is that God's life is in us and his light works in us. So when you get light, God brings back to life those eras that were dead. And the plans that God has for us are bigger and grander than we'll ever realize. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans for blessing and not for calamity, to give you what? A future and a hope. And by the way, Jeremiah said that to them when they were in captivity in Jerusalem. That was the context. It was a time of despair, a time of disillusionment, a time of, 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 of discouragement. And God speaks that word into them. I know the plans I have for you. Whatever it is that you're going through, God knows the plans he has for you. And he will confound the plans of the enemy because you seek to dwell under the shadow of the Most High. You find your protection and your affirmation and your affection in God. And the plans of the enemy are frustrated concerning you. And I have not seen neither ear heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Amen? Let that rest over your life. Whatever's happened, even if you're in the throes of sin and you've come here this morning and you know that you're forgiven, but you still feel the effects of it, let me know, tell you this, that the plans that God has for you have not changed. There we have some people, my people in the house. <laughs> they have not changed. So what changes our perspective? What changes our perspective? What helps us to change? Well, it is his presence. His presence. It was the fact that Jesus was there with them. Okay, let, come to, with me now to Luke 24, 28 to 20, 35. As they approached the village in which they were going, Jesus continues as if they were going, for, going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. I'm thinking, oh, when I read this, I think, it's like, yes, no. Because <laughs> he came in, and he was there, and he was gone. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Then they found the 11 and those who were with them and assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and he's appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Then, now you see, it's the presence of God that makes the difference. It's his presence with us that causes us 
to change perspective. Now, you know something? I happened to be reading scriptures the other day, and my mind was reminded of Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 8. It wasn't specific as that, but I, I had to go to the scripture. And you remember the fall in the garden, that when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that they, they, could, they, they shouldn't have eaten of, what did Adam and Eve do? Yes, they sewed fig leaves together, but there's this little phrase, they hid from the presence of the Lord. They hid from the presence of the Lord. And I know this, that in my own heart, if I'm not where I should be and I'm not walking in the light, I had a sin in my life, my natural inclination is to hide. You don't want to come to church. You're definitely not going to home group. You don't want to meet someone that loves Jesus. In fact, you just stay home and hide and find comfort under the duvet, if you could. <laughs> Obviously, you have to go to work. However, in this instance, the disciples wanted Jesus in his, they wanted to be in his presence. They urged Jesus strongly. Why did they do that? Well, we know the text said that because he was, obviously it was late at night and you need to go home, but there's more. They experienced in his presence the very opposite of what the enemy would tell you if you come into the light. What people fear if they confess their sin and come into the light is they fear rejection, they fear condemnation, they fear shame. And the enemy will tell you that, but it's not true. Because the disciples experienced healing, comfort. In fact, they, I say it like this. They experienced the healing, comforting, uplifting presence of Jesus. And as the bread of life, Jesus, broke open the word of life, what was the result? They recognized him. They recognized him. And you know, as we've kind of had communion this morning, and as we've as it were, broke that bread open and by faith fed on him in our hearts by faith. So we get a recognition of who he is and what he's done for us at Calvary. And they went and told all the other disciples, it's true. I love that in the text. It says, it is true. He is risen. When you get light, that brings life. They went from downcast to being excited. You know why? Because life wins. Life always wins. When you get light, that brings life, and life always wins. So what do we need to understand as we bring this to a close? As we are walking along the immense roads of our lives, Jesus says this, I will never leave you or forsake you. His presence is always with us and in us. So we don't have to be cast down because the facts don't count. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever your situation, whatever your history, the facts don't count because of what Jesus did at Calvary, because of the blood that was shed on that cross where he made an open show of principalities of power triumphing over them and erased every certificate that was hostile to us. He's removed it out of the way. So whatever the facts are, the blood covers it in the name of Jesus. Yes. Amen. 
His presence is with us, and because his presence is with us, we have life. We have joy. We have hope. We receive forgiveness. We receive healing. We receive restoration. We receive light. We receive love. And we receive fellowship. And this is a scripture the Lord told remind me of fellowship. You know, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. And the love of God is not within us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And because we walk into the light, we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with each other in his presence. Shall we stand? Could a band come up, please? The psalmist said this, you know, he said, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. So as one version says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And all I would say this morning is if you are not sensing joy in his presence, if you're here because you're here, then I just sense God would say, come, step into the light. There's no shame. There might be pain, but there's no condemnation. Come into the light, and actually what you will experience is the tenderness of being received. Compassion and mercy and grace for your time of need, because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is life. In his presence, there is hope. In his presence, there's restoration. In his presence, There's fellowship, and in his presence, there's love. Let's pray.